loves you spectacularly and has provided for you richly and generously, the crowning jewel of which, the crescendo of his love for you, was shown at the cross. When you first arrived in Bahrain, maybe it was six months ago, maybe it was 24 25 years ago, uh, you, if you came on a work visa, if you came here with a job, you probably had a medical checkup when you arrived, did you not? Some people are nodding. I guess the rest of you are tourists or in some branch of some military somewhere. Uh, but you probably had something like this. It, was probably, it probably wasn't as in-depth as this. They probably looked at you and asked you, like, are you well? And you said yes, and they stamped your form, and that was that. But um, <laughs> when, you, when you go to a doctor, usually for your annual checkup, something like that, uh, if you're new somewhere, he, she is going to poke and prod and press you in various places and asking, does this hurt? Does this hurt? And does this hurt? Uh, and if you say no, they'll carry on prodding and poking and pressing in different places, but if you cry out in pain, one of two things has happened. Either they've been really insensitive and poked you somewhere that they shouldn't have been poking you, or something is wrong with you in that spot. And if they're being careful and doing their job properly, they'll say something like, oh, it's not supposed to hurt there. Uh, let's do some more tests. And this is exactly what happens when we talk about money in church. People get really uncomfortable and squirm. There's not a lot of eye contact because people don't want to talk about money. They cry out. It's uncomfortable for them. And they criticize the message as being unbiblical and the messenger as, as being some like money-grubbing televangelist. Yeah, if, you, if you're not sure what a televangelist is, it's a preacher on the TV who says, send me a thousand of whatever monies and you, God will release 10,000 of whatever monies for you. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, so <laughs> all of that to say, look, if we'd chosen this passage, uh, there could legitimately be some questions. Are you, James, whilst not looking like one, a money-grubbing televangelist? Because you're randomly choosing to talk about money. And if our method for ministry here was to kind of bounce around the Bible and pick out passages and topics at random, you could genuinely ask, why are you talking about this? But that's not how we do things. And one of the reasons that I love and really believe in continuous exposition is that we cover topics as they come up. And when that's convicting for you, then that's good. You shouldn't leave on a Friday feeling, oh, man, he was speaking to me today and I don't like that guy anymore. Never really liked him, but now, now that's, made, my, now that's made, it, made it up in my mind. He convicted me of being horrible on social media. He convicted me of, uh, where else have we been? Being nice on Friday and sexually immoral during the week. That's not me. That We're working through a passage, working through a book, bit by bit. You should praise God that he's speaking into your life with his word right now. So look, when stuff comes up, it's difficult to hear. I've not picked it. Your problem is not with me. Your problem is with Paul and the Lord. So don't, just save your time. Don't send me an email or a text. Or you'll get that very British response that we talked about last week. Oh, that's a very interesting point, brother, sister. I will consider that. Meaning, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so 
1 Corinthians 9 is a great passage to teach and preach somewhere else. Uh, where are the chaplains? If you guys ever get asked to preach and teach somewhere, 1 Corinthians 9 is great. Yeah, yeah. Next time I'm out of town, you can do it again. <laughs> it's perfect, but I don't know any of my pastor buddies that would bounce around the Bible. Well, first, I don't know people that bounce around the Bible, but who would pick this at random because it convicts a lot of people in a, in, a, in a very uncomfortable part of the life where they are falling short of a scriptural command. This is not Paul's opinion. This is not something that I've deduced during the week from reading. This is what it says. So, people get very defensive when money's talked about, even if it is a basic part of being a believer. And I love, 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 love what Charles Spurgeon said about this a couple hundred years ago. See, with some people, the last part of them to be sanctified, to become Christian, is their pockets. And that is absolutely true. Martin Luther said, look, people go through three different conversions. Head, you understand it first. Heart, you believe it. And then at some undefined point in the future, it's your pocketbook, he called it. Your, your money, your finances, your pocket. You know exactly what he's saying. And as a result, people don't like to talk about this. That's just super private. You cannot talk to me about how I use my money. I'm like, yes, I can. And I'm going to. Because it says here in black and white what you should be doing with it. Paul's making a point that was really specific to him in this place. But again, one of the beauties of, the, of God's Word is that it answers a very specific need here 2,000 years ago. But it's still so relevant to us. So... Get comfortable in your chair, because this might make you uncomfortable uh, in the next 30 minutes or so. Paul is helping them. Again, big picture, let's not forget the context. He's helping them to see all of their lives through this new lens. Now they believe. And he is now going to show them where he has done the same, and we are going to show you where God wants you to do the same now, 2022. So first... Paul defends his role in their community among the Corinthians in verses 1 to 3. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. For you are the confirming sign of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who examine me. So he starts with these rhetorical questions. He already knows the answer, and, he, and he's, he's teaching them. He's showing them. After last week, we talked about all these liberties that we've got. Now we're believers in the Lord Jesus. And Paul is showing them, hey, look, I've got those same liberties as well. This is not do as I say and not as I do. Paul has the same liberties and rights as every other believer. Am I not free? Do I not have the liberty that I told you about last week? In the last paragraph. Am I not an apostle? Am I not commissioned personally by the risen Lord Jesus? Uh, if you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and you get a friend request or a message from somebody who calls himself the apostle so-and-so, no. Don't, no. <laughs> no. He's been commissioned personally by the risen Lord Jesus. The apostle so-and-so, who wants your money for his next mission? No. You leave that alone. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord, risen and in the flesh? That's what he's saying. Are you not my work 
in the Lord? Are you not my duty, my office, how I spend my time? And again, these are rhetorical. We know the rhetorical because of how he wrote it in the original language. He didn't write this in contemporary English. The way that he wrote this, he knows the answers, and it would read like this. Am I not free? Of course I am. Am I not an apostle? Of course I am. Have I not seen Jesus? I will look. Of course I have. Are you not my work in the Lord? Yeah, of course you are. He knows the answers, and he's putting it out there. It's very, very clear for them. And he's, he's seeing this because some people, sadly, in the church influenced by those outside of the church, had started questioning Paul, his right to minister to them, his apostle, he didn't question that, his apostleship, there we go, his status as an apostle, let's say, his right and his liberty to minister to them. And although Paul might not be to everybody else out in town in Corinth. He might be nothing. They might not know who he is. They might not care who he is. They might not care how he lives his life. He might not matter to the average man or woman on the street in Corinth. He should matter to the Corinthians. He should be an important part of their community. They should know that he is able to use the same liberties that he has told and taught them about. And they should affirm and confirm who he is in their context. And he says, look, you, you yourselves are evidence. Are you not my work in the Lord? You are the confirming sign of my apostleship. And so to those people who are questioning Paul, scrutinizing, what are you doing? How do you spend your time? What do you, what, what do, you do? People who are judging how he's doing stuff, Paul is turning that back around to them saying, look, you or what I do. You are how I spend my time, Paul is saying. I'm using my liberty in the Lord for your benefit, is what he's saying. So don't examine me to the nth degree. Look at yourselves, is what he's saying. If people are being spiritually led and biblically fed in this community, he's saying, look, leave the accusations of me and my liberty and my ministry and my rights as a Christian We'll talk about those in a minute. Leave, leave that alone. Look here before here is what he's saying. Because the problem is from within the community. And so Paul's response is directed to the church. If other people out in town, the bigger picture community, if they've got doubts about me, Paul says, you, you better not share them. You shouldn't share them because your own existence, your faith life, your being part of this community is evidence of how I'm using my liberties. Are you not my work in the Lord? He says. Gordon Fee wrote, if Paul is not a true apostle, then the Corinthians are not truly in the Lord. So Paul is saying, look, if you're questioning me and how I'm using my rights and liberties and all that good stuff that I've told you about, if you're questioning me, just stop. <laughs> Question yourselves first. And so he's asserting very clearly that he has the same liberties as everyone else in this community. It's not one rule for one and a different rule for others. And if people are questioning him and how he is using his liberties, they should look at themselves first. And then he moves on to specifics. 
what's actually being questioned about him in verses 4 to 6. He says, do we not have the right to financial support? Do we not have the right to the company of a believing wife like the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I lack the right not to work? So, in this place and at this time, philosophers, uh, wandering teachers uh, would make their money by f- one of four different ways. They would charge fees. So, to listen to me teach, you've got to pay me first. Uh, they would earn money through patronage. Other people would willingly support them in their ministry and their teaching financially. They would beg or they would work a job. One of those four ways. And everybody who did one of those four ways, as is so often the case, thinks that the other people are doing it wrong. And my way is the only way to do it. And from reading what he wrote, reading about Paul in other books of the Bible, we know that he struggled with this. And he maybe bounced around. Sometimes he worked. Sometimes he had a patron. Somebody would financially support him. And here in Corinth, it looks like, from what we read in Acts chapter 18, he had a job alongside his preaching and teaching ministry. And because of that, people questioned him. He can't win, can he? If he turned up in town, demanded a fee to come in and listen, people would, who's this guy? I'm not paying him to listen to him. I don't know who he is. I don't care what he's got to say. I'm not paying him. So because he worked, they then questioned him, saying, oh, this guy... He's not even good enough to charge fees. He's got to have a job. He's obviously not full of all the liberty that he's teaching us about because he's got a job. I'm not going to... So he can't win. However you do stuff, people are going to find fault. It's, it's just a fact, another life lesson, like last week. Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Uh, so Paul can't win. And he said, hang on a minute. If I am your minister... If I am, in our community, he's saying, overall responsible for you being spiritually led and biblically fed, accounted for before the Lord, if I've got a call on my life to preach and teach the good news about your salvation, your forgiveness, your restoration, all that beautiful stuff that we've just sung about, don't I also have the right to be supported financially by you? I've also got the liberty to exercise that right or not. And these are more questions. He writes them in the same way. He uses the same particular words. He expects a positive answer. Do we not have the right to financial support from you? Of course we do. Don't we have a right to earn enough to support our families? Don't we have the right to the company of a believing wife? Of course we do, is what he's saying. Don't we have the liberty, the right, the freedom, the privilege to be full-time immersed in what we're doing here and not have to take a second job out in town just to make our ends meet? Of course we do, he's saying. I've got those rights. I've got those liberties. I've got that privilege. So you, he says, you are my work. You are my people. You are how I spend my working week. Thinking about you, I'm praying about you, and putting together stuff to teach you, to show you. That's what Paul is saying. 
to the Corinthians. You are how I spend my time and my talents and my energies, my emotions. My working week is primarily focused on you, is what he's saying. And so, do we not have the right to financial support from you? Of course we do, he says. So before you question my use of all these liberties that I've taught you about, just remember how all of this works. I've got the right to financial support. I've also got the liberty, if I want, to take a second job and not be a huge or a bigger financial burden. So before you question what I'm doing, remember how this works, he's saying. And he's now going to give some super-duper common-sense justifications for his position. And then he's also going to back it up with Scripture. So real life, verses 7 and 8. He says, Whoever serves in the army at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit, who tends a flock and does not consume its milk. As a settled and steady state, not in times of emergency, who serves in the army for free? How many people here are connected in some way, shape, or form to some branch of some military? Okay. Keep your hands up if you do that absolutely free of charge. Nobody. Who likes growing plants, vegetables, not pot plants? We've been there before. Who likes growing plants, vegetables, and stuff? Keep your hands up if you never, ever, 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 ever eat any of your own produce. You don't, do you? You've got a nice little tomato plant. You eat one now and again. You've got a lemon tree in your backyard. You're going to eat one now and again, even if it's horrible. You're going to do it because it's my lemon tree. Who tends up? No, we don't. I know you don't keep cows and stuff. But again, in a former life, Robin and I lived in New Zealand. Robin milked cows. I drove the tractor, and there was the offer of milk. Don't be embarrassed. She was pretty good at milking cows. We didn't have the unpasteurized fresh milk, but there was the offer of it there. Because as well as selling it to the dairy, well, there's loads of the stuff. Do you want some for your cornflakes? No. Of the pack. Of the pasteurized milk from the fridge. Anyway, look, these are so clear and so obvious examples that that's enough to be said about that. Paul says, look, am I saying these things only from common sense? Does the law not say so as well? Does Scripture back this up? Or am I making this up? Because there's a big difference between what Scripture is telling you to do and what I think you should do. Hands up if you care what I think you should do. Nobody. Nobody cares what I think you should do. The three people live in my house. Nobody cares what I think they should do. There's a big difference between Scripture backing something up and Paul making something up. He says, look, if you're not willing to look at life, big picture, and make the connection, then let's turn to Scripture. Here is an explicit scriptural command for you to sanctify your finances and stop questioning the liberty of other people. In verses 9 and 10, he says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. God is not concerned here about oxen, is he? Or is he not surely speaking for our benefit? It was written for us because the one plowing and threshing ought to work in hope of enjoying the harvest. Paul is not satisfied with just an argument from real life and common sense, as many of us are not. If you're going to be told explicitly what you should and shouldn't be doing, 
especially with your money. You want it to be backed up from Scripture. And Paul's doing that. He asks another rhetorical question. Is God not surely speaking for our benefit? Yes, it was written for us. He throws in a quote from Deuteronomy 25 about oxen. Demonstrates from the words of Scripture what was argued from everyday life. The laborer is permitted, has the right, the pleasure, the privilege, the liberty to enjoy material benefits from the harvest. If oxen don't do it for you, look at the priests in Exodus, in Leviticus. As Paul is obviously thinking about a little bit later in this passage, read Exodus, Leviticus. See how the priests are supported how they are able to live among the people to the same standard of living as the people. They're not some paupers in the corner that are wheeled out once a week to do some work. They live with the people as the people through the support of the people. Paul's big point here is that God is not talking about oxen, really. Yes, there's a Very practical, very immediate application of Scripture. But there's a big point. There's a big picture. Workers make their living from their work. The one plowing and threshing ought to work in hope of enjoying the harvest. So he's making a point from his own experience by saying, look, you are how I spend my working week. Then he's looked at the world around him and talked about oxen and lemon trees and milking cows. Then he's turned into Scripture and said, look, It's always been like this. The liberty that we have to live by our God-given, spirit-driven conscience is mine as well, he's saying. And he says, look, you know, when I arrived here, I had a second job. I had a a job job, he says. So what? So what if I spent some of my work week making tents in the market? So what? That liberty is mine. If I want to work a job, I'm going to work a job. But actually, if you want to push and prod and poke in that place, don't. (laughs) Because it is right and it is good and it is scriptural for you to support me, he says, full-time, financially. So I don't have to work a job. But if I want to work a job, I'm going to work a job. But if you want to push there, it's going to show you that you're not supporting me Enough, because I feel like I need to get a job to make ends meet so I can live among you as you. But rather than demanding that, he says, I've, I had a job when I arrived here. I laid aside my rights and my liberties to demand finance from you for your benefit, he says. And this doesn't make me any less of a minister, any worse at what I'm doing. And if you think so... Go and find a mirror, is what he's saying. Because you are my ministry and my work. Can you imagine? Just, just, can you imagine reading this as a Corinthian? You're a little bit disgruntled with Paul. And he says, look, just cool your jets. Because you're not holding up your end of the deal here. And actually, according to Scripture, I am. If I want to go and get a job, I'm going to go and get a job. But you're not providing for me as you should. That must have been so convicting. Just this massive rhetorical punch in the gut. 
And so now then, his big point for the Corinthians and what God is saying to you here, now, today, to accept, to do something about, here, now, and also when you leave and plug into another church, when you've moved on again, we read of in verses 11 to 14. It says, look, if we sowed spiritual blessings among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? If others receive this right from you, are we not more deserving? He says, look, if we've worked among you, it is right that you support us. It's very, very simple. We've seen it's very, very scriptural. Scripture backs this up. Paul is not making this up. He says, look, if other people do so, why not us as well? And just think, for, for you, now, you do all sorts of stuff with your money. You support all kinds of causes. You give to all different kinds of people in different places in the world, directly or indirectly. So, and Paul is saying, why not us? If other people are asking you for money and to support them, why not us? He's saying, look, don't look miles away. For somebody to support, don't look miles away for an opportunity to honor God with your finances when there is one right in front of you, is what he's saying. If others receive this right from you, are we not more deserving? This is really clear. This is really firm. God expects you, wants you, desires you scripturally by his word. This is not some convoluted conclusion that I've reached this week after having a real deep dive into Scripture. It's very, very clear. We can all read this. We can all understand this. God expects you scripturally and by His Word to support those in your community that have given their life to preaching and teaching, making sure that you are spiritually led and biblically fed, accounted for before God. This is really clear. This is why this is a great passage to preach when you're somewhere in somebody else's congregation. This is really firm. You should be doing it. This is really clear. And for most of us, this is going to be really convicting because most of us are not doing it. Most of us are not meeting the commands, the command of 1 Corinthians 9.14. And then, thankfully, there's a change in the tone for a brief moment and then we're back to what you're not doing. There's a, there's a change in the tone. Pressure is released a bit. But, Paul says, we've not made use of this right. Paul had chosen to work when he arrived in Corinth rather than demanding an income from the people. And people have questioned him because of that. Maybe he's not good enough to, to do this full time. Maybe he's got to work. And he says, but... We've not made use of this right. So rather than demanding money from you, this right, this liberty, this privilege, which we could have done, he says, which is never a good look, is it? Give me your money. Nobody, li nobody likes that. Paul says we deferred and we endured. We just got on with it so that we may not be a hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul says this was a conscious choice on his part, and Barnabas with him, that it was something... And because they made this choice, it brought about a certain level of frustration. 
hardship, difficulty for him. Instead, we endure everything. You don't endure wonderful situations, do you? We endure everything so that we may not be a hindrance to the gospel. Rather than turn you off with demands for money, he's saying, we're just going to get on with it. But before we all forget, because we're so apt to forget very quickly when we've been convicted, before we all forget, before we all take this as the easy way out, well, you're not demanding my cash, so I'm not going to give you any. Look how crystal clear he then makes it. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple eat food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar receive a part of the offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel to receive their living by the gospel. This is straight from the pages of Scripture and is just as applicable and relevant for you today as it was for the Corinthians 2,000 years ago. The Lord commanded this. This isn't a suggestion. I'm just going to put this out there for you guys. If you want to help us financially, feel free to do so. This is a command. So yes, there is an application for you here, now, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever works. But it's a command, something that we should all be doing. And please, don't wait. Again, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, look, who's going to be here in one year, five years, ten years, fifty years. Don't wait for your next church to providentially come upon a passage like this before you remember that you've got a scriptural command to help them out financially. Please don't wait. You know you should be doing it. If you didn't know and you thought it was a matter of personal choice, now you know. The Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel to receive their living by the gospel. Now you know. And you also know if you're doing it or not, whether you have been doing it or not, the attitude with which you do it. You know whether you give generously or you give us the change from your coffee on a Friday morning. You know how and when you've been given. You know, and God knows. And he also says, you should be doing it. Paul's big point here, look, he's helping the Corinthians to see all of their life differently now they are believers. Last week it was love first, liberty second. Now he's showing them a situation in which he's done just that. He could have demanded with examples from his own experience, from life and from Scripture. He could have demanded financial support from the Corinthians, but that liberty and the love that we talked about last week, he's going to lay aside that right. He is never going to demand money from them. He would rather have them contribute because they want to, because Scripture says so. And because Scripture says so, the God-given, Spirit-driven conscience within us is going to prompt you to do the same. Paul knew that God... He's never going to guide you in contradiction to His Word. He's a God of non-contradiction. He's not going to tell you in His Word to give financially and then prompt you on a Friday morning or monthly, weekly, quarter, whatever. He's never going to prompt you not to do it because His Word says you should. The little, the still small voice is never going to counsel you not to do it. He's a God of non-contradiction. So if you, if you feel, well, I've just, 
just got this really strong conviction that I shouldn't be giving to you. That's not from God. Because His Word says that you should. And so Paul's big point is, look, rather than demanding from you, we're going to defer. Rather than claim His own rights and privileges, rather than insist upon His own liberties. Look, Scripture says you need to support me financially. Everybody not just a few people here and there. He's not, rather than demand those things, he's going to defer to the higher authority of Scripture. He's going to submit his own life, his own ministry, his own finances, his own liberties, and, 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 or he's going to submit everything to the higher authority of Scripture out of love for the people. And he's not going to say, look, Scripture... God says, you must do this for me. He's going to say, look, now you know, it's on you. And the same is 100% true for me and for you today. It is absolutely, as we've said, as we've seen, it is scripturally good and proper and right and appropriate for me to stand here now. It's uncomfortable. This is even going to be just to pretend and demand that you give me some of your money. It is good, it is right, and it is scriptural, and it is proper for me to do that. Because there is a cost attached to everything that you see, hear, sit on, look at, and everything that you don't. It's like the tip of the iceberg, all this stuff that nobody knows about. Costs have gone up this last couple of years, and the giving has gone down. That's just a fact. It is absolutely scripturally good for me to stand there and say, look, come on. You know you're not doing it. I know you're not doing it. Give me some of your money. But before you stand up and leave and feel all hot and bothered and offended, as Paul is saying, whilst we could demand that from you, I could stand here and claim that privilege from you. Instead, we're just going to defer to the higher authority of Scripture. We're not going to demand any money from you because as Paul is going to go on to say next week, we're not doing this for money. I've never met anybody who's gone into school teaching to become rich or ministry to become rich. Nobody goes into those things or milking cows to become rich. We don't do this for money. We pass a bag every week. Give as you feel led. There's our bank details on the table at the back. Give as you feel led. Whatever your situation here, we work hard to make sure that you can give, to facilitate your giving. There's nobody here whose situation prevents them from from giving. But we never stand here. I've never stood here and demanded money from you. It's not a good look, is it? Give me some of your money. It's just, it's even strange to pretend that I'm going to stand here on a Friday and demand from you anything. And instead of demanding, we defer to the higher authority, the living power of Scripture. Because by plowing the field as straight as we can with some continuous exposition of Scripture, we know this stuff is going to pop up. Look at all the stuff we've talked about in 1 Corinthians. We could not have planned a topical sermon series with all of this stuff in had we tried. We've talked about so much stuff this last few weeks. And Paul wants them to be sanctified in all areas of their life. Now they're believers, and that includes their money. 
one of the good and perfect gifts that God has given us. So rather than turn you off with financial demands every week, we want you to contribute because you want to, because you see that you should, that God is, is asking you, commanding you to do so. Let me make this as, as clear and as simple as possible. As a new covenant believer in Jesus, as a, as a Christian today, you've got a scriptural obligation. If you say you're a Christian and that you're living your life by the book, what God says I'm going to do, if that is, you've got a, an obligation to contribute financially to your community. The amount's going to be different for everybody. And if you've never talked through with somebody, look, how do I even decide? How do, I, how do I arrive at a figure? If you've never had that conversation with everybody, with anybody, talk to me afterwards, grab one of the elders afterwards. But if you're claiming to be a Christian, to contribute in this particular case financially is not optional. We know that we should be doing it because God says so, not me. And rather than stand here and demand your money every week, we defer to the higher authority of Scripture because we know that the God who authored Scripture is alive and working in our lives and is going to guide you to provide for us as a community. And it's the same for Paul. It's the same for us now when we lay aside these liberties and these rights, when we defer our decisions to the divine authority of Scripture, when, we, when we're seeking to live lives of obedience to God's commands, people are going to think that you're doing something wrong, as they did with Paul. Well, he's got a job. Is he not good enough to do this full time? People are going to think that you're making strange decisions. How we choose to use our money, the world is going to think that you're doing something wrong. Because you're not keeping 100% of your income for 100% of your own earthly and fleshly desires. But more important than what other people think about our budgets, what other people think of our lives and how we're using our liberties and our rights, more important than that stuff, as we said last week, is love. Love for God, love for His Word, and love for one another. You know, Jesus said in John 15, if you obey my commandments, you will remain, you will reside, you will live, you will be constantly surrounded by my love. And just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in His love. So here in 1 Corinthians 9, we have seen, without a shadow of a doubt, one of those commandments is to sanctify your finances and to contribute to your community. We do, we do all of this. We, we want to live like this. In, we want to live in obedience. We want to defer our own rights and our own liberties to the higher authority of Scripture because, as we read there in John 15, because we're loved and because we know it. We are absolutely 100% sure that we are loved. And so we want to live in response. We want to remain there. 
We want to reside there, constantly live in the lavish love of God, don't we? Oh my gosh. We want to live constantly in the lavish love of God, don't we? Yes, we do. We are loved so deeply and we know it. It was evidenced, proven. And when we know it, we want to live in obedience. When we know it, we want to show it, don't we? We want those kids to leave kids' church knowing that they are loved by mom, by dad, by brother, by sister, by uncle, auntie, grandma, and they are loved by God. And we want them to live their little lives knowing that they are loved. We want them to be kind to one another and be caring and be respectful and be all those lovely little children things. We want them to live and show that they know that they're loved. And it's the same for us. We know that we're loved. One of the commands that we obey to, to show that we're loved is to give. God loves you spectacularly and has provided for you richly and generously, the crowning jewel of which, the crescendo of His love for you, was shown at the cross. And He now wants you to go and do the same. Lay aside your own rights and liberties, including your finance, to serve other people, to obey what He has said, so you can live this life that He died to provide for you. We are loved beyond measure. And we know it, don't we? Don't make me say it again. And when we know it, we want to go and show it, don't we? You don't need demands making of you every week. God has said it. Paul's not made it up. We are loved beyond measure and we know it. And when we know it, we want to go and show it. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray together.